Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Matchit and the Other Guy. And as ever, Kevin and I are sitting outside my home on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, weather's pretty nice today. It's cool, it's not humid. It was a beautiful day on the lake yesterday. I took the boat out for a spin around the lake yesterday, which was jolly nice. A little overcast today, and perhaps a little sprinkle of rain coming. That's our weather forecast for today. Yep, I think it could happen any time today, but yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, we have some chainsaw noise. It's actually gone quiet now. We were just thinking before we hit record, I wonder if we'll be accompanied by the symphony for chainsaw and axe, but it seems to have died off. A little bit. I bet it'll come in mid-range, mid though, somewhere mm. along the line. So anyway, if we get joined by them, we get joined by them. Yeah. Our gentle listener and I never know what subject we're going to be talking about when we start our podcast, but we all hope that you do know what we're going to be talking about, at least in theory. So start us off. What is our subject for our penultimate episode of the podcast? Well, it would be kind of a thud if I showed up here without one, wouldn't it? Oh, We'd be uh, staring, well, staring at each other with blank uh, dismay going, well? Well, we'd be talking about that, wouldn't we? That, I guess we would. That but alone would be the subject. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, I do have something we can go down the, down the path of. Oh, um, we've done a lot with uh, you know, different genres of, of film and such like that. So I thought today we kind of hit on one that I tend to think about this time of year is cult films. Okay. Well, we always we talk quite frequently about movies and films. Okay. So start us off with a definition of cult movies. Well, movies that have a, a huge following, like or a group that that really is is into that type of movie, uh, has seen it. A lot of these fall into ones that you can see multiple, multiple, multiple times. Right. And that may apply to a group of people, but it may only be your own. You know, there may be ones that are you know just your thing. You're like, I love this film. Yes. The rest of the world doesn't see it quite as maybe as well as I do, but I love that's, seeing it again and again and again. And again. And yeah. Sometimes you know why and sometimes you don't. Yes, um, yeah. And I know you've got several favorites from the 1980s. We've talked about them on air and off air. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of see where that genre is going. I would say, and we may have mentioned this before, but one of my films that I always enjoy watching is The Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox with Goldie Hawn and George Siegel. I love the chemistry between those two together. They work very well on screen. It's just a quirky cowboy movie. There's nothing particularly special about it, but I just like the way those two interact with one another. Yeah. And I can watch that over and over again. And I never heard of it until I met you. Hmm. There we go. So there you are. Yeah. Uh, so how about you? What, what, Pick one at random, though, and you think, that's the one I, I love watching. Well, I, and I believe I've touched on this before in different conversations, even on air, is like, anytime Coal, Miner, Coal Miner's Daughter's on, I can watch that. Okay. It's just, and it's a great movie. It's not like it's a bad movie and it's my thing, but it's it's just one of those that I love it from beginning to end each time. And it doesn't matter if I pick it up mid-range. Yeah. Well, you're very familiar with it. I know, yeah. I know yeah. what it is up to that point. So tell I'll me, watch it. if you can, what is it about the movie that that makes it so engrossing I don't to you. know. I don't know. It's just... And I, now, it has great acting in it because it's uh, Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. You know, play play Loretta and Mooney Lynn. And so they, they just have great chemistry and just... I just like the whole story of, you know, her rising to, to fame out of, out of nothing and such like that. So it's just 
one of those that sticks with me. It's very odd how, how, how this happens that we are attracted to movies. Um, <clears throat> another movie that I've always attracted to from the 1970s is Rollerball with James Kahn. Yeah, we've mentioned that one here yeah, on some other conversations. I, I can yeah. watch that over and over again. And again, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly why, but I am always attracted to that idea of the individual standing up against near insurmountable odds. And Patrick McGowan's TV series, The Prisoner, which was set in Port Mirian in Wales in Britain, is another one of those things. That was a TV series and not a movie, but it was the same kind of thing. It's, it's the individual versus the great big machine, if you like. And um, James Kahn, uh, who played Jonathan E. in Rollerball, is, is, is very much that same character. It's a completely different plot, completely different setting, of course. It's a futuristic, violent game, uh, fictitious game, but it's, it's how James Kahn survives the pressure to retire. He keeps being told you've got to retire from this game, you've got to retire from this game because he he became so good at it that he couldn't be taken out of the game. And the idea of the game was always there is no star of rollerball because there are constant injuries in the game and then it's a revolving cast of characters that go through and it's a release of uh, violent tendencies within society. But once one player became almost invincible, then uh, the supporters of the game started to follow that one character, uh -huh. Jonathan E. in this case. And uh, uh, the corporate world couldn't deal with that. So that's why I like it. It's, not, it's a little fantasy film. Uh, and it, it was um, originally, it was a short story. And I think the short story was called Rollerball Murder, if I remember right. If it was 10 pages long, that's all it was. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's not, uh, not really a misnomer. A lot of times you'll, you'll see great films or, or stories come out from little just short stories that were in a magazine or something like that. Yeah. 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 It's amazing how that happens sometimes. You just need the right, I don't know, you just need the right plot or the right character or something to spark the imagination of, of, um, of Hollywood, typically and let the screenwriters go using those few things and away you are. And didn't, that, didn't they remake that in the past 15 y years yes, or so? Yes, and it was, um, it was, in my opinion, uh, it was just awful. Well, I haven't seen, either, I have not seen either one. I mean, yeah. that's another, I've, I've probably, you know, remiss at not seeing the first one and I'll have to remedy that. Yes, I, do, I just don't know why anyone felt a desire to remake Rollerball and, um, the remake, it, it, it's a personal opinion, but in my opinion, it was just uh, absolutely way off the mark in comparison to the original. Um, in fairly recent years, again, um, there was a remake of The Italian Job. Yeah. The Italian Job was an absolute classic 1960s British masterpiece. Yeah. And why remake it? I'm completely baffled of why that was the case. And even more so because the remake didn't really follow the plot of the original movie. Oh, no, not at all. In so, fact, I saw the I saw the remake before I saw the original. Okay. The original has a lot more comedy in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a lot more tongue-in-cheek. Yes. And, you know, and Benny, Benny Hill's in I'm going to say, it's got your star Benny Hill's in it as yeah. well, yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know why that happened. I can only assume it was because um, the new Mini was out. and I it think was it had a lot a, to do with it. You know, 
what yeah, because the minis are the on. stars of both movies. That's yeah. what you think of when you think of either one of that uh, iterations of that film. I can only assume that was the case. It's all a bit odd. Yeah. Well, then, okay. Back to you then. Give me another one of your great cult movies that you've loved and continue to. Well, love. one that one that we really have to. I mean, it's it's the 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 ultimate, the grandfather of them all. Just like we talked about Charles Schultz being pretty much the king of comic strips last time. Yeah. The greatest cult movie that will ever be is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Because, I mean, there's no, no other film that has had the following and the ravenous fans yep. and the involvement that it has. Now, yep. it's, I'm not a huge part of that group, but I've you know, enjoyed it at different mm. times. And that's what I was kind of wonder how it went over in England, how you remember it over there. Well, I, I'm going to put my hand up and, and give you the confession. You know what's coming. I've never seen the movie. I'm well aware of it, and I've seen clips of it. Uh -huh. uh, and I'm aware of its cult status, and I know that when it's shown in... I'm going to pick on New York, but I'm sure it could be anywhere. When it's shown in New York theaters, folks love to dress up as characters yep. from the movie. Um, I don't think it was anywhere near as successful in Britain as it was in, in the United States. Um, but I know here in the States, we all have any opportunity to put costumes on and, and dress up, right? I yeah. Mean, but it, but it, oddly enough, of course, it is a British product because yeah. Richard O'Brien yeah. you know, created it. And I, was it, I'm sure it was what, a stage play. And then, well, it, then certainly it was. Is, the, yes, it certainly the, is the a film. show. It certainly is a stage show, yeah. Um, yeah, but it seems to have been infinitely more popular over here in the States. But I think there's that just desire hey, let's all dress up and go to the movies. Yeah. And it was, I think, what, 19, <laughs> 1975? was the the movie that became the cult classic that it is now and it took a you know a year or so or maybe more I've, I've seen documentaries on it but it's been a while yeah and then it started being picked up as that you know we're going to show it at midnight yeah and people started showing up and, and i think you're right new york was the the epicenter of all that starting well, but then it spread you know yeah. all over yeah yeah and honestly i don't think you see it as much as you used to i don't think it's quite the cultural get-together right. that it used to be. I can't think of anyone. I, in fact, I don't know where they do it here in Charlotte if they do it on a regular well, basis. Well, I was, I was thinking the same thing. We're, we're having this conversation now, and I'm sure our gentle listener who may be living in Loughborough over in England will probably write back to us and say, Steve, what are you talking about? The, the curtain in Loughborough shows it every week, and we all dress up. I'm guessing that's not the case, but yes, it, I mean, it's... It, it, it has been a classic. It will continue to be a classic. Probably yeah. not as much so as it's been, but uh, I'm sure it will continue on, yeah. Well, I was brought into it, like many are, in college. That's about the age. You'll okay. probably discover it type right. of thing, especially if they do have local showings. And, you know, as you know, my, my group of friends I hang out with were very into movies because they worked at the theater, yeah. and, and, you know, we saw everything. But there was a place in Knoxville called the Terrace Tap House. Okay. Where you could, uh, you know, it's one of those places kind of early on, uh, this idea where you could watch a movie and order food. You know, you could order a burger and chicken wings and yes. chicken tenders and whatever and have a beer, you know, too. Uh, so that was the place that would show it uh, in, our, in our town. And I would go, I remember going the first time with that group and then maybe, maybe I saw it f a total of three to four times there in the time I was in college and, and living there afterwards. But one of the times we, we went was Halloween. Yeah, well, that would seem it, like it the fell on the I either fell on the weekend or they were just going to show it at midnight on Halloween. And that was the only time I saw where they actually had the cast characters do the full dress 
uh, up on stage with the film being shown behind him and, yeah, and oh, did cool. the movie as it went. Yeah. And I'll never forget that afterwards, we went to Crystal Burgers, which is a 24-hour, uh, different parts of the country, you'll know this is kind of like a White, White Castle, okay. the, the Little Burgers. Okay. In the southeast, it's Crystal, which right. I love to this day. But they're open 24 hours, so you can go anytime. And we went there after the showing, so it's, you know, what, 1.32 in the morning, maybe, somewhere around that. And the guy that was playing Frankenfurter was standing there at the counter ordering in full, his full drag <laughs> outfit. Oh, cool. And I was like, that's hard to, hard to get out of your memory. <laughs> but... Yeah, like, yeah. Did you ever dress up as a character when no. you've been to a screening? No, no. I, I wouldn't know the, the script as well as those guys did. And I mean, these these people have probably seen them hundreds, you know, of times. Yeah. But uh, and then uh, you know later on, you know, I I remember, still remember when I moved to D.C. I was just happened to be in a CD store. You know, uh, they were having this really good sale, and it was a, it was one of the used stores, but the prices were really good for what they were at that time. So I just went through their whole store and ended up buying a stack of CDs, okay. probably like 15 deep or something like that. And I bought the soundtrack. Oddly enough, and it's kind of what made me think about it this time of year, I like to listen to it in October around Halloween. It yes. just kind of ties in, you know, for, for me. So uh, I do like the soundtrack and I'll pop it on. Or Right now it's digitally in my car and it's been there for years. So I, I tend to listen to it more this time of year. And I like the songs from it. They're, they're a lot of fun. You know, Meatloaf was on there and... Uh, you know, the main cast of characters all sing in it. Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, and and different ones. Richard O'Brien, you know. What is it about that movie that's made it such a cult? Is it is it the fact that you can just you sing along to all the songs all the way through it? And, and Probably part of it. It's one yeah. of those things I think it's intangible. I think it's hard to define why it became what it is. And that's yeah. kind of what makes it so interesting is that, you know, because honestly it was, it was completely panned as a movie. And it's, you know, if you watch it at home without an audience, you kind of get that too. There's not, without that, people talking back to the screen and throwing toast at the screen and spraying water during the different certain scenes and you know doing the acting out with a group of people. It definitely loses it. There is actually like the DVD. I have, of course had to get a DVD of it at some oh, point, probably the 50th anniversary. But there's one mode that you can put it on and you can have the audience participation uh, soundtrack running through it or yeah. the, the audio running with the film if you ever want to watch it that way. Oh, cool. I mean, you've hit on a very interesting point there that I mean, we've, we've mentioned it once already, I think. It's just, it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly why cult movies are cult movies. They just become this thing. There's something in them and not really sure what it is. I suppose it's the same like a best-selling novel. Yeah, best-selling novels. But there are certain books that attract you, uh, attract the reader and they become firm favorites. And it's, it must be the same. It actually is the same with movies. They are yeah. Yeah, cult movies. Or one-hit wonders in, a, in uh, the music industry. I mean, somebody might be known for one song and that's it, you know? But it was, it was a huge, huge hit, but never, nothing ever else they did. Right. You know, even, even came close to yeah. making it on the charts. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to explain. I suppose the ultimate cult movie for me, and you'll forgive me for getting back to this subject but we always do it's got to be the original star wars episode four a new hope that is a movie well been, there's quite a quite a number of millions and millions of people that go along with you um, on that yeah and but when you take that movie as part of the wider world of star wars the prequels and the sequels and the what, what are known as the original trilogy uh, four five and six of all the movies that have the Star Wars tag on them. It is Episode Four that yeah. will be the standout classic, I think. Yeah, and I and I watched something you know fairly recently just off YouTube, and it was about 
how it was to be in 77 when that happened. Because yeah. I was, you know, again, we talked about it, I was eight when it went. So, you know, eight, an eight-year-old sees it differently. If you're in, say, college, you know, how it affected your life and you're now going to see it again and again and dragging your friends to see it again and again. So, yeah, it, it had a, a, a organic growth that just was unbelievably meteor, meteoric rise, you know, so fast. Yeah. And again, talk about, we all know now, I'm struggling here a little bit, because we all know now that Star Wars has become this massive, colossal thing. But when you take episode four in isolation, and you look at the plot, and you look at the characters, I mean, it was a really quirky movie. Yeah. Nothing like it, really, before. Yeah, like I said, I'm um, sure George Lucas trying to explain it to the uh, studio. I think we told this one that, time. You, you got, what, a space monkey and this gold thing that walks around, and what else you got in this? And you want how many million to, to produce know. this? Yes, and, um, you know, we introduce R2-D2. Of course, now is a massive star in his own right, but you're trying to explain to potential backers of the movie, well, we've got this kind of talking trash can, and it doesn't really talk, it beeps a little bit. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must have been a really hard sell. It must have been a hard sell to get that film together. Well, we all know it is because the story is so well documented. But yes, it's um, that's one of the things that attracts me to episode four. As you said, millions of people are fans and enthusiasts of the whole world. Some folks will say, I hate the prequels, and some will say, I don't like the, the sequels, and you know, all of that, whatever like it don't like it we all have our own opinions but um, and I think that's what attracts me to episode 4 that like you say you can pick it up at any point you know what's you know what scenes you've missed you know what scenes are coming immediately after oh, yeah. and and therefore you can just watch it and another aspect of that movie that I like thinking of that movie in isolation but then thinking how George Lucas and now others have had to fit it into the Star Wars universe is those scenes that kind of didn't made life difficult but they're already shot so what do we do about that I'm thinking of that one scene um, with Obi-Wan Kenobi meeting R2-D2 uh, and there's a, the, the, the dialogue exchange is something along the lines of um, I, I can't. I don't ever remember owning a droid or something, yeah. as if he's got no knowledge of who R two D two is. But of course, he's well known to yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, you know, it's that, it's that man. That like, must how seen how are you? <laughs> That's right, boy. That must have created such a problem for the writers. How are we going to get around this? You know, but I like that. I like to pick up on those things. And think, wow, that must have created a problem. I bet you really wish you'd not. Said well, that. I mean, yeah, we're definitely going to go down a wormhole with this, and, and fans are going to be like <laughs> jumping up and down and screaming. But again, it's like, well, Luke is what seventeen, right? So it was only 17 years ago that you had these droids. Yeah. So, <laughs> gotcha. and you aged a lot in 17 years, by the way. Yeah. What? So. Um, that other awkward line, um, your father was betrayed by Darth Vader. Man, it would have made it so much easier if that line had been taken out of the movie or written in another way. Well, yeah. from a certain point of view, that was yeah, true. Yeah, they're talking about psychologically. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see to then have to go back is like, well, how are we going to write ourselves around this? Now we know what we want to do with the character of uh, Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. How do we get around the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi has just said that Darth Vader killed your father? You know, like, how, yeah. how does that? <laughs> Man, I wish you'd not said that. Yeah, but, I think uh, you just kind of got to go. 
let it go. But I like that. I like, I like, I mean, everything has to be based from the dialogue and the scenes that happened in, in episode four. Mm-hmm. Move forward or move backwards in the timeline. You've got you've to somehow make it all, I won't say seamlessly flow, because like you say, there are, there are many things that you think, yeah, that's a little bit jarring but i i kind of like that so yeah. that's why that's one of the reasons that i'm so attracted to episode four for that reason well and you can pop in speaking of that one you know because it's 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 a light it's a lighter hearted movie i mean there's there's nothing too heavy in episode four that you right. can pick it up anywhere and it's either going to be you know fun or action or whatever it's not like you have to sit there and go okay the the subcontext of this is you just go with it you know yeah and run and can again if you've seen it multiple times you you know where you are and you just pick it up and have fun but cult movies also lead me into what i you know refer to as quote movies there you know you get a group of guys together and there's some of us that we can have a whole conversation doing nothing but movie quotes and there's some of those that have just become amazing at 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 how much they've influenced pop culture and stuff like that and and the the king of those is definitely is caddyshack okay oh my gosh i mean you get a group of guys together, and we just throw Caddyshack random quotes at each other all day long. And that's been going on since, you know, what, it came out in, like, 80. That, that's been the, the biggest. You could still, you know, you not see somebody, you know, for 30 years, and just that's the first thing you say to them, and they'll know exactly, roll right with it. I know exactly and, what you mean. For me, there are two movies that do it, but for me, perhaps the greatest of all, in, in my opinion, would be Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. We that's, found a that's witch, definitely, Amy Burner. For example, you know, there's just endless <laughs> We found a wit. Yeah, or anything. There is. There are so many. Of course, yeah. it's a good idea, and all of that. You know, it's just endless quotes. And well, somebody and calls the, you up. They hear you got an injury or something like that. How you doing? Well, I'm not dead yet. So, <laughs> so getting better. I'm getting yeah. better. Yeah, and uh, lighten up, Francis. Yep. You know, is another one that that's a, that is a very good one. Yeah, line up. It's hard to, hard to kind of lay lay which are the, like the top five of all time or the top ten, but you know that's that's one, and yeah. you know, as we know, that stripes. We're going to need a, a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger. There you, go. There you that's, go. That's a different one that doesn't have as many quotes throughout, but the one quote is well known. Yeah. But and then then the years go by, and and ones will come out, and you almost think it's hard to get one in this day and age is going to have that lasting power. But like when Office Space came out. Okay. Oh, Office Space is full of them. Yeah. I mean, you can just roll quotes off that. You know, Peter, what's happening? <laughs> the, the whole Lumberg thing. Uh, and then Napoleon Dynamite became one of the one of the absolute best. You know, not too many years yeah. later. Now I know you're a big you're a big enthusiast of that movie. We spoke about this before on on mic and off mic. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one that I, people get it or you don't. You know, like my wife just looks at it and goes, "That's the stupidest thing." <laughs> Ever, but she does. I'll throw out most quotes at, at home, and she'll just look at me like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. Whereas, you know, again, I can do it with multitudes of my friends, and they go, "Uh huh, yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah." Do you feel that there are cult movies in the pipeline that are coming along, or do you feel like the music of the 1960s and 1970s? We've hit the best music, <laughs> or is it just a generation? I think there's always thing? hope and always a chance. Yeah. It is different, though. You know, like. When things came out, there weren't all these ways of seeing it, so it was kind of like your little secret until it got out kind of thing. you got to yeah. think those first few people that went and saw Star Wars that first week or two, how it was kind of like, man, we've discovered something amazing. Yes, absolutely. And then the whole world, you know, knows, boom, within, you know, a yeah, couple the, more weeks. The, the reason I ask that question is because 
when I we talked about the Marvel movies and the fact that I, you know I, I, I'll, I'll sit down and watch almost any movie because I'm we are both fans of, of movies clearly um, but I love to go to a matinee show where there's hardly any, anyone there and I'll just spend a couple of hours and can watch almost anything but when I watch the the, the contemporary Marvel movies it seems to be special effects more special effects more special effects but the, the plot I, I find is almost irrelevant these days but that's me getting old perhaps and dialogue doesn't seem to be anywhere near as as intrinsic or as important to a movie as it used to be yeah we'll always have Paris from Casablanca immediately comes to mind you know all, all, there are endless quotes that you can pick from movies of the past and I know that you need time to get those to percolate through society but I, my fear is that we're not going to get that any longer. I think movies are different. There's a different thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, when you talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, what would it be without the amazing writing of the dialogue? Absolutely. You know, that's where that's where the meat of it is and that, that you know, that highbrow intelligence thrown into that and <laughs> just the joke. Of, well, I was just going to say what they're going to say and how they say it and, and it who most, it comes from. Yeah, it most certainly isn't from the special effects because those guys didn't have any budget to put hardly any special effects in anything. There's a little bit of dry ice blowing around, and of course the famous coconut halves as, yeah. as the hooves of the horse was a great gag, but of course the only reason they actually use it is because there was no budget for horses that yeah. could do that. Yeah, so they relied absolutely very heavily on dialogue and uh, intelligent humor. Wow. And that's, yeah, I go back to Napoleon Dynamite makes me think of that, because look, at it's such a weird, odd, you know, it's just this like Midwest town and you know Uncle Rico's got this old 70s van and they live in this old ranch house and and it's almost like you can't pick what time the movie is what era it's supposed to be set in is it now is it a little bit in the future was it 20 years ago that's a very clever how do you describe it writing tool or visual tool when you're making a movie is to make it timeless yeah yeah now you've said that that makes me think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where you're never quite sure when this movie was set, or probably more importantly, where it's set. Yeah, it's kind of a nondescript. It looked kind of like a European town. Oh, it very much looks like an English town somewhere to me. But was yeah. it? Was it in? Was it in France? Was it in Belgium? Was it in Germany? Was it somewhere odd in Britain? It didn't look like it was in the States. Yeah, I like that about that movie. It was a very well-conceived idea that it was a magical set, in a way. I suppose much of the Harry Potter movies are the same because, yeah, we know where that's set, and you know we 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 understand it's set in Britain. But when you remove the urban scenes away from the Potter movies and you're set basically in the Hogwarts school that could be anywhere at any time it becomes a timeless thing again yeah I think that's very clever to be able to do that even in, in writing or, or in the movie itself yeah well it does I think it serves a film well down the line anyway because it's so easy to watch later on absolutely and it doesn't feel you don't feel dated there's some it movies you do, don't yeah. want to watch because like ah, well you said it with Alien it's so, it's so yeah it's so out of date I just don't really want to bother with it right now yeah, yeah, Alien, and I agree with you 100%. Alien is set in this, obviously in a, a futuristic setting, but it's set in a timeless future that 
it could be a hundred thousand years from now. It could be ten thousand years from now. It doesn't yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But we know it's um, it's a timeless setting. Yeah, I think that's very clever to be able to do that. Yeah, but I think everybody, you know, everybody out there kind of has their own little quirky, you know, films that they picked up on and why it why it you know connected with them. One that they'll see on cable and it's like, yeah, if it's on, I'm I'm having it on. And everybody's different in in what they like and the genres they like and stuff like that. I do find that comedies, I think, really tend to fall in that because you can just pick them up at any time and it makes your day better yeah. and that type of thing. Another movie that I'm always happy to watch, I, very rarely do I see it on networks now being screened, but I, you can find it, um, is Logan's Run. Oh yeah, the original? The original, Logan's Run, yeah. And I Farrah think Fawcett I'm a, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the, yeah. the Sandman name, the guy that played the, the uh, main Michael two characters. Michael York. Was it? Michael okay. York, yes. Yeah, that sounds right now. Yeah. You're um, I'm sure dead right. But the reason I'm attracted to that movie, again, it's a, again, it's a, once again, it's kind of one guy versus the bad world. How do I survive this bad world? Um, but beyond that, I just have this very special memory of watching it in the Curzon Cinema at Loughborough when I was a kid, and there was hardly anybody else in the cinema. And it, I just, it was kind of a magic, it's one of those magical afternoons. I can remember catching the Midland Red bus, it was called, the double, classic double-decker bus we have in England, uh, close by to where I used to live. Catching the bus into Loughborough, going to the cinema, watching the movie, coming back later in the afternoon. It was a beautiful day and just everything, I just remember it, you know. And I was, so whenever I see Logan's Run, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a special time for me. It reminds me of a special day, I guess. What, uh, what year was that? Do you remember? I want to say it was 70, I'm going to guess it's 74-ish, round about there. Oh, it doesn't seem like it's that early, but it was pre-Star Wars. Mm. No, Prince and Star Wars. Was it yeah. was it from a novel or a short story as well? You know, I think it was from a novel, and I think the book was called Logan's Run. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say that the author's name was Nolan, something Nolan. Gentle listener, have a look on, uh, have a look on Google, and that'll be the answer. Yeah, I thought it came out later. That's why I was kind of wondering if it was right around Star Wars because '77 is like kind of you know because of Star Wars became kind of that. Uh, watershed yeah. year of things you know that were done pre that kind of led up to it but then there's the ones that everybody saw the huge success of Star Wars and just wanted to put anything space related out the next few years my feeling is that Logan's Run came out before Star Wars and it may have in any case it was written it was written before then did. anyway yeah 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 and there was a I do remember there was a follow-up novel to it called Logan's World uh, which I don't think was ever made into a movie. I'm not aware of it. So. If it but did was. you do you, re, do you recall that Logan's Run was made into a TV show here in the states? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah a totally different cast of characters. Yeah, or different cast of people playing the the characters. Yeah, so nobody from the movie. I don't think it was, was a little it. bit like the Planet of the Apes TV series versus the movie and the book. Yeah, yeah. And I think that got the green light after Star Wars, and it was like this is a space thing. We can put it on TV. Yeah. We'll carry over this movie, and. Not sure about that, but I think that was it. And I don't think it had a long run, but yeah. I remember watching it. Anything space-related <laughs> that era was, was going to be on my TV. The book for Planet of the Apes was Monkey Planet by Boole. I think it was originally a French book that was translated into English. And then Monkey Planet became Planet of the Apes. But I do remember reading Monkey Planet, and uh, I thought, gosh, this is a very different story to the 
the movie uh, where the apes were wearing contemporary like je jeans and, and check shirts that sort of thing you know yeah odd yeah yeah but a lot a lot of stuff happened in that I think probably you know Logan's one was probably created around that same time as maybe Soylent Green or something like that that whole dystopian future type things maybe Ooh, I want to say Soylent not, not Green not too far off was that Charlton Heston the movie was yeah yeah, yeah okay I think Soylent Green was uh, I want to say Soylent Green was probably 68, 69 I think it was there. yeah I think yeah, it was yeah. but if you, know, if you think about the grand scheme it probably wasn't too far well that's right on when they both won Soylent Green <laughs> a book too uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that I want to say yes but yeah. if it is I've never read it I want to too uh, but, but, but if we're saying that Soylent Green was 68, 69 and um you know, the next year was the 1970s. Yeah, so we're well, not that far heading apart from into each other. Oh, we really? It just reminded me. Yeah. Of the well, I mean, Planet of the Apes is a dystopian society too. So, yeah, I don't know why I'm attracted to that sort of stuff. Yeah, they've all they've all become classics. So, yes, the one curious thing that always stays with me about the movie versions of um, Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Battle for the Planet of the Apes, I think, Conquest for the Planet of the Apes. Um, it had the most odd music. I don't know if you can ever remember that music. It I remember, I've only seen the first one, but yeah, right. it's that very harsh. Yes, it wasn't really um, orchestral music. It was a very different take on an audio soundtrack, but they're all the same. They all use that very, I wouldn't say odd or quirky, but very different, but it kind of jarring. Yeah. It, yeah. Somewhat like uh, John Carpenter. Yes, his, his music, you know, from Halloween into uh, The Thing, Christine, they all have that very distinctive John Carpenter music, which I think he wrote all, if not most of it himself. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. Halloween music is will never be forgotten. I mean, that's very, very, it's like Jaws. I mean, it's, Absolutely. It, it, it ties you right into the film, yeah. takes you right back. It just goes to show um, how easy it is to overlook the huge importance of the soundtrack of a movie that when 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 a soundtrack is working really well you're not really aware of it huh yeah but when it's but when it jars boy it jars yeah yeah and then star wars took kind of the opposite thing of you know here we are we're going to put this you know scientific or sci-fi movie with you know this crazy story that lucas had come up with but he did put in beautiful orchestral music yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It was all John Williams stuff, wasn't it? John Williams uh, uh, was the uh, composer for that, and of course the composer for Jaws. Probably the best in terms of uh, cinematic movie music that we've ever had, I think, oh, yeah. John Williams. Yeah. 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 Quite a career. Well, on that note, um, I think we're just about out of time, aren't we? Yeah. I don't think we begin to scratch the surface on this topic. That went incredibly it, fast. That it could be uh, three days of t straight talk on something like <laughs> That's this. That's really. But we'll wrap yeah. up for today. Yeah. Well, I hope you had, that was another fun topic. I always like talking about movies. And it's funny, it's odd. When we start talking about these things and you start to put the pieces in your own mind together like a jigsaw puzzle, that idea of... You know, dystopia and the hero or the anti-hero of the piece yeah I can see that I am attracted to those movies and I never really thought about it at the time but you're right there's a there's a constant theme running through that true kind of cool hmm. gentle listener join us again for another episode of match it and the other guy for now bye for now bye for now as well hmm? and you throw out that uh, penultimate we'll see who picks up on that.